How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Welcome to Chasing Giants, Episode 5, uh, brought to you by Biofarm.com. This is Terry Peer, and I am in central Illinois with Don Higgins at Don's property, and we're going to talk November is here, Don. Absolutely. October's finally over, and I'm glad to see it go. It was the worst October I think I've had, and as long as I can remember, it's been a lot of years since I had an October where I saw so few mature bucks. Uh, I've seen deer almost every every time out except two. I think I hunted uh, 26 days in October and seen deer every hunt except two, but uh, the giants just stayed hidden. Yeah, I can uh, I can vouch for that. We saw the same thing. We had a I had a really good September, but once October came in, it was it was really tough hunting. Um we've talked in the last couple episodes of some of the reasons we've um we think that was with the crops and the weather and and everything else, but um Let's just put that behind us. We got we got November cooking here. What do what are we seeing right now? Well, the uh, the buck activity is definitely picking up. We're sitting here on the second of November today, uh, so I hunted both morning and evening yesterday on the first and this morning. And um, you know, yesterday on both hunts, I seen bucks chasing does. It's primarily still the yearlings and two year olds. Although we did have a four year old come out last night and uh was chasing does around as well but uh it's just going to get better and better each day here for for a good little bit uh until those bigger bucks get locked down with hot does but we got a period of about a week here where it's going to be probably the best week of the year for for killing a buck yeah i think um yesterday um last evening um i saw two 130s both of them were up cruising, and then uh, both last night and this morning, I saw young yearlings uh, sprinting out to doze out in the field and bumping them around. So the young ones are definitely feeling froggy. And then, based on social media, there's been a been a couple really good ones killed by people that we know here in the last couple of days. Yeah, actually, you had a part in one of those, Terry. You want to tell the story of Patrick Simpson's buck? He killed a, just a dandy yesterday morning. And uh, Terry was right there hunting with Patrick when it happened, so I'll let him tell the story. Yeah, it was uh, this property. Um, uh, Patrick actually got access to hunt this property in Illinois probably 25 years ago. And he and I have become really good friends with the landowners, and um, uh, it's it's just produced some absolute giant bucks off of it over the years. I know Patrick's uh, older brother killed a pushing 200-inch non-typical off of it um, way back when. Um, EHD set in that area really, really tough in 2012, and it's finally it's taken it's actually taken this long for it to get back to what it was back in the day when they lost you know 80 percent of the herd in that area. But um, you know everybody jokes and everybody uh, kind of um, shrugs their head about quality equipment, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do explain this real quick. It, we could not have probably closed the deal on this buck if it if it weren't for me being able to go in there the day before and hang a set for Patrick. So he was he was dealing with um, some personal business up in Decatur and did not get back in time to be able to hang this set. And I was coming in a couple hours behind him, and there was snow on the ground. It was snow flurrying with, I think, what was it, 30-mile-an-hour gust winds? Yeah, it was a miserable day. So um, I got a lone wolf set of sticks and a stand and slipped in there and hung that stand in a matter of about, it was less than 15 minutes. I went up that tree, hung that set for Patrick um, without boogering up that area, without leaving any scent. 
and and quite honestly, if if um, if it wasn't for us being able to slip in there and do that, he wouldn't have had a place to hunt that morning. Uh, it was a southwest wind, which that spot is absolutely perfect for. Um, the buck itself, uh, we have a pretty good history with him. Um, back to last year, he blew up from last year. He was maybe a 140-inch deer last year. We have a ton of pictures of him. I had three encounters with him. Um, I never would have dreamed that we would have seen that deer blow up the way he did. Um, but when we first got pictures of him this summer, he was just an absolute giant. And um, we thought he passed a VHD because we had had some in that area. We didn't get a picture of him from September 2nd to October 17th or 18th. And um, whether that was corn still in the fields or he shifted, we don't know. But we went we went that long without getting a picture of him. And I think I texted you on Halloween night because I pulled that card um, out of the Reconyx camera. And uh, I think the first thing I said is, is uh, Curly's still alive. And uh, he, was, he was in there the day before and two days prior. And he slipped up that field edge um, on the downwind side of that thicket. And Patrick poked a hole in him at about 35 yards, and he died in the field. But he's, a, he's an absolute buck of a lifetime. Huge, massive rack uh, with a lot of character. So... He's he's a dandy buck. Yeah, seventeen points in all mass, like you wouldn't believe. But uh, you know, going back to your your comment on quality equipment, uh, you had the Reconyx cameras in there and got those pictures. Um, if that uh, if those cameras had not have taken those pictures, if you had, I would never camera. put the, I would have never put that stand in that corner because yeah. we didn't think anything was there. And matter of fact, there was two cameras in that tree, and one of them was a cell camera that. I think both of us have talked in the past. We really haven't found one that we're 100% confident in. But not only had it not sent me the pictures, it didn't even take the pictures. And I had a ton of pictures on the Reconyx camera that was on the same tree that if, if I wouldn't have gotten those pictures, I would have never put that tree in that in that corner because I wouldn't have known. We thought the corner was dead. Yeah, you know, I get on social media all the time and guys are asking what's the best game camera out there and i always say reconyx and there's nobody that i know that have used reconyx that puts them in second place if they if they've had reconyx they know they're the best uh they get bashed because they cost a little more than other brands but you get what you pay for and if that would have been a cheaper camera you had on that farm that missed that buck's picture patrick would probably have never killed that deer that's absolutely right because we even talked about that earlier this year that when i pay all this money to come out of state Illinois tags are really expensive. Travel up here and then, you know, cut a few cut a few dollars by getting a cheap camera. I don't know that I would have gotten the picture and and relying on that cell camera, we I mean, I, I'm not going to quote exact pictures, but I'm being all in, in serious. There was like 250 cam- pictures on the cell camera SD card. I only got maybe 100 of those sent to my phone. And there was over two thousand pictures on the on the Reconyx. So if we would have been relying on that on that technology there with the other camera, uh, we wouldn't have been hunting there. Yeah, it it just goes to show that when you try to cut corners with your equipment, you're going to pay for it somewhere, and and usually you're paying for it uh, with your hunting success. So whether it's our Matthews bows, our lone wolf tree stands, our Reconyx trail cameras, our three sixty hunting blinds our quiet cat bikes, you know, right on down the line. I'm not, I'm old enough now, I don't know how many deer seasons I've got left in me, and I'm not going to take any chances on my success by trying to save a few dollars on my equipment. Yeah, um, things always happen, and I wish I would have been more prepared this year than what I was. But I hung that stand and another stand that I hunted last night and had deer walk right underneath of me. And it's because I was able to slip in there so quiet. And and you and I, for the most part, are not hanging hunt guys. The guys right. that are going in and, and, and only hunting on public ground, or it's not really us. We like to have our spots, but stuff happens, right? So, you know, we, we weren't prepared. I wanted to put a stand in on a really nice spot uh, for a southwest wind. I slipped in there and did that yesterday and then hunted it that last night. And I had deer underneath of me all night last night. So, and that's, that's just a tribute to how quiet, fast, 
and still feeling safe up 20 feet up in a tree that that lone wolf gives us and um you know there's there's some people out there trying to copy what lone wolf has established in the marketplace for years and some of them even use names similar but but there's only one that i'm going to trust being 20 feet up and not having chinese hardware that that might that might happen so um you know, if if it wasn't for those two things, I'm confident that we probably wouldn't have uh, a buck on the ground, a booner at that. So congratu- congratulations to Patrick. It doesn't matter. He still has to make the shot, and uh, he um, he put a he put a hole in there with his Brandy Matthews bow. Actually, he he was uh, real tickled about it. Um, it died in the cornfield, and uh, Kyle Harmon uh, from Team Radical was able to take some phenomenal pictures of this buck that uh, I'll actually. I think you might you might be able to put it on your uh on your um social media pages too but I'll definitely share them. So congratulations to Patrick. But the first booner on one of our properties that we hunt fell this weekend. So yeah, congratulations Patrick and I'll just say this, the pictures do not do it justice. You know, sometimes uh, good photography can make a a nice buck look really special. Um but in Patrick's case it's just the opposite uh the photos just don't do that buck justice. Yep. Well, hopefully uh, the clouds are rolling in t- this afternoon. It's supposed to be cloudy this afternoon. A little bit of a temperature drop from the highs today. Uh, winds are going to be about 10 miles an hour um, out of the west and then shift to the northwest. So we, we're going to be hunting tonight with our friend Frank Archie from Lone Wolf. And hopefully we can put another one on the ground tonight. But... Um, Let's transition in the last few episodes. We've talked a little bit about your article profiling big buck serial killers. And uh, why don't we shift to that and you walk us through what the next attribute of a, a big buck serial killer is. Yeah, Terry, you know, several years ago, for those who haven't been following along, several years ago, I uh, wrote an article titled Profiling Big Buck Serial Killers, where I detailed some of the traits uh, these guys all share, the guys that are consistently dropping big bucks year after year. And in previous podcasts, we talked about the fact that they're all loners. Uh, these guys, uh, they don't head to woods with to their woods with a bunch of friends or anything. They're pretty much loners. Uh, they respect the wind, learn how to play the wind, and their priorities in life. Uh, killing big bucks is way up there close to the top, and in some cases with some guys, it probably is the top. Uh, so this week, we're, we're moving on to the next uh, attribute of big buck serial killers, and that is the fact uh, the attention that these guys pay to details. Uh, they don't take anything for chance. You know, when they hang a stand, uh, they clear the shooting lanes that need to be cleared. They've got their access route. Uh, they've really thought it through uh, when it comes to their equipment. You know, they don't take any chances. Uh, their, their bow's tuned, shooting good. Uh, it's all dialed in. Uh, their tree stands are quiet. Uh, the gear they have is functional. Um, they, a lot of times they don't carry all the gadgets and trinkets that a lot of bow hunters take to the woods with them, but the stuff they take is functional and it has a purpose. And when the time is there that they need to depend on it, it works every time. Uh, it's just the attention to details with the big buck serial killers goes way above and beyond what you would typically find with your average deer hunter. Uh, so that's this week's, uh, big buck, uh, serial killer trait that we're focusing on yeah i think that um if if we don't prepare ourselves we we work all season long for something that can happen in a matter of seconds and whether that's having your bow tuned and and shooting to what you're comfortable with or having your spots laid out and the discipline that we talked about before um it's it's a shame that a lot of guys fall short with some small detail after they've worked the entire year to uh, get set up for an opportunity that, that, that passes without without the chance to close the deal. So very interesting. If we could sum it up, you know, these guys just take, leave nothing to chance. If they can possibly do anything to address an issue, they do it before the moment of truth. They, they leave nothing to chance that uh, they don't have to. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our buyafarm.com featured property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. 
This week's featured property is actually a land auction. It's going to be held in Jefferson County, Illinois, on December 14th. Uh, more, more information on this can be found on the Buy a Farm website, but we're going to give you some details here. Uh, this property totals 137 acres. Um, it's broken down into different tracks. Uh, they've got tracks, uh, looks like, all the way from as small as 12 acres um, all the way up to the biggest one is almost 50 acres. Um, and you can also buy combinations of those tracks. I think there's six different tracks uh, in all that's going to be auctioned off. Um, for those who don't know where Jefferson County, Illinois is, it's, no, it's uh, near Mount Vernon, Illinois, and this property is just northeast uh, of Mount Vernon, not that far off of Interstate 57. Uh, these tracks, you know, there's great home sites. Um, there's great deer and turkey hunting, uh, something for just about everyone. Uh, and, again, this is a uh, land auction um, going to be held uh, Saturday, December 14th. Um, it'll be at the Farm Credit Services in Mount Vernon, Illinois. But, again, all these details are going to be on the buyafarm.com website. Uh, there's going to be a, a property inspection or showing of the property before uh, the auction. That'll be on Sunday, December 1st uh, from 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, if you're interested in seeing the property at, at another time or you're, you want uh, any special requests uh, for that date, you can call uh, Biofarm Broker Don Bailey. Um, for a private showing. Uh, Don's phone number is 618-919-1031. And Don would be glad to uh, get you any information you need. Uh, but once again, just go to the buyafarm.com website and you can find out more information on this land auction to be held December 14th. Yeah, the, um, the cool thing about auctions is if you're looking for this one, this one's broken up into different size tracks. So people with different budgets or different uh, needs or different goals, looks like it might be something for everybody. But the best part about an auction is depending on who shows up, you might be able to find a really good deal on a piece of property that, um, and that's just the way auctions work sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I would throw out there when you contact Don, make sure you tell him you heard it on chasing giants podcast. Um, when when it comes to these different tracks, you know, if you know, if, for instance, track one is uh, twenty acres, track two is twenty nine acres. Uh, you could combine those two tracks, and you're going to get almost you're going to get forty nine acres. So, um, just because these tracks are different sizes, you can combine them and make them bigger. You can even buy all of them if you want, and uh, you know, get the entire one hundred thirty seven acres. Yeah, very cool. All right, so who was who was the agent on that? Uh, it's Don Bailey. Give his phone number one more time. Don Bailey's phone number is 618-919-1031. And all the details will be up on biofarm.com's website. So I'm I'm going to I'm going to throw a curveball to Don right here and uh oh boy. he's he's sitting here <laughs> grinning at me and and we got a small studio audience with us. <laughs> Frank Frank Archie our buddy from Lone Wolf is here. He's hunting with us tonight. But uh, he's going to get a kick out of this. But uh, this was not on the script, and I'm getting the evil eye at me right now because I'm going <laughs> off the script. But um, but I think this is real important for listeners to understand a little bit more about Don. Uh, this week I was down in Atlanta uh, with my job for a marketing summit with Penske Racing. And the last speaker of the day is uh, she's actually a sport agent and motivational speaker. And she got up in front of everybody and was talking about, and her the way she worded was leaning into adversity. So it's how we take curveballs in life that are thrown at us, and we can either choose to fall back and give way to it, or we can actually lean into it and, and, and stand our ground. And I know throughout your life there's been key things that, that have been – adversity that you've had in in the story of your 214 buck you know that's obviously very well documented but throughout life how have you dealt with curveballs and that that might be something as big as having your buck wrongfully taken uh in an accusation but it also might be something as simple as our plans for the for the month of october didn't work out the way we wanted them to we thought you would already have a booner here on your home property down how do you deal with adversity not only in your life, but just in general when you're hunting, because things just don't work out. It's 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 hunting in the real world. How do you lean into it? 
Well, you talk about putting a guy on the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up, Terry. That's <laughs> what makes it fun, Don. Yeah, there you go. You know, uh, a lot of times I take the negative and I, I use it as fuel to drive me to be successful. Um, and it just uh, it motivates me more than anything. If, For instance, uh, you know, you just talked about October and uh, the fact that things didn't happen the way I wanted to, wanted them to in the deer woods. Well, that just motivates me even more to be successful in November. Um, I, you, you can look at it in a negative light that, wow, I didn't, I didn't get a, to shoot a booner like I wanted to in October, but you can turn that around and spin it into a positive. Now I got, I still have two buck tags in my pocket for November. Um, so if I happen to shoot a giant buck this week, I'm not done. If I just shot a buck in October and then I shoot another one this week, I'm done in, in Illinois where we have a two-buck limit. But, you know, I can shoot a giant this week, and then I can, I can continue hunting the very next day or even that same day and possibly shoot another one. So I just try to spin things, uh, spin those negatives into a positive. And then, you know, the other thing is, is um, I've I pretty much learned to just leave things in God's hand, and it started – with that buck that you're talking about, the 214 that was wrongly taken from me 15 years ago this fall, um, I was put in a situation where I didn't have much of a choice. I had to leave it in God's hands and just, uh, you know, have faith that, that things would work out, and they did. And I, I kind of learned from that experience, and and today I follow that. You know, when there's things that are out of my control, I just leave it in God's hands. I don't lose sleep over it. I try not to anyway. Uh, I'm sure there's really serious issues that we're all going to lose sleep over, but uh, I try not to sweat the little things. And, and another example from this season is uh, there was a buck on, on one property that I'm, I'm after, and he picked up and moved. And he was seen three miles away from, from the property where he'd spent most of his life. And, you know, I, I didn't sweat it. I mean, I, I didn't like it. Um, but I just had faith that if, if God wants me to kill that buck, I'm going to get him killed. And if he doesn't want me to kill that buck, it's not going to happen no matter how much I sweat over it. So, uh, you know, turn the turn the negatives into positives and then leave everything into God's hands. As, as I was sitting there listening to this lady, and she was a very good speaker, um, the thing that kept coming into my mind is, Life's never going to be perfect. A hunting season is never going to be perfect. But one of the things that I've tried to focus on um, as I've gotten a little bit older is you surround yourself with the quality of people that's always going to be there and have your back, not the people that's in, – and in, in it's got to the point in our life we can kind of cut through the chase and, and see what people's real motives are. But if you're if you're going to live life – it's not. It's never going to fall in place the way you think it. And and sometimes our goals are different than what God has in store for us, and that and that's fine. But surrounding yourself, it's it's a good message for young people too. It's it's find mentors, find friends that are going to be able to help you, advise you, and be there with you. Because um, you know you. I th- I just thought that visualizing the the phrase lean into adversity really really goes hand in hand with a with an outdoorsman trying to do what you're trying to do every year and that's shoot world-class whitetail and when you set lofty goals there's going to be a lot of negatives you're going to face you're going to fail more than you succeed but you got to keep trying you got to keep getting up and plugging away when life knocks you down you can either stay down or you can get up and come at it harder and i've just always chose to get up and come at it harder and if something i was doing didn't work i i came at it at a different angle next time so Learn from your mistakes. Well, if you want the Kentucky boy to come in and, and repeat what you just said in the way we, we say it is, when somebody pisses you off, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to prove them wrong. <laughs> and that's, the, and that's, that's a little bit of a blunt statement, but it's, it's, there's a lot tr- truth to that for you. Absolutely. You know, I've had my share of haters. Anybody that follows me on social media uh, has seen it. Um, you know, there's always an excuse uh, you know, Don shoots his bucks on ground that's that's managed and all this. He can't do it in the real world and blah, blah, blah. And um, he's, they, they've even went so far as to accuse me of doing things illegal, turning loose pin deer and shooting pin deer and, and you name it. And every time that happens, it just motivates me to go out and kill an even bigger one. Do it in the wild, do it on video, 
And, you know, I thought at one time I thought the video was going to put a halt to this. I started carrying a video camera, and I'll just I'll prove my critics wrong. I'll start shooting these bucks on video, and it'll all go away. Well, it doesn't go away. The haters are always going to be there. They're so ate up with their own jealousy that, you know, they can't see straight. So, you know, rather than, than finding motivation to do better themselves, they try to drag other people down to their level through criticism. And uh, I, I just use that criticism as fuel and takes me to the next level of success. Yeah, it's amazing how people, the whether it's jealousy or hate or whatever, can can just take over somebody's life. Um, Patrick, the my friend that was that that killed the Booner on Friday morning, he's actually really good friends with Roger Raglan. And Roger posted a picture of, took a snapshot of Patrick's Facebook Lives, and you would not believe the people that just started bashing a guy that just shot a booner on on private land that 25 years ago he knocked on their door, coming up with all kinds of just negative things. And, and just the fact that whether or not it, social media gives people a platform to just you know, be hateful to people when they don't understand the true story. I don't know if that's the problem or it's just the, the overall culture our society is getting into, but it, it's just a shame it comes to that point. We just encourage you for whatever you're get, trying to get out of hunting. We've said no two experiences are the same. No two opportunities are ever the same. As long as people are being ethical and abiding by the law, be supportive of one another. So moving on, let's, uh, we got a couple questions. Some, we got... Uh, it's it's actually hard for me to keep up with all these emails that come in with the questions on it, but I think you've chosen three really good ones that are talking points that we can uh, discuss in today's episode. Yeah, the the first one comes from John Ziegler of Shoals, Indiana, and it's a there's actually about uh, how many questions is there? <laughs> I think there's, he's got three or four. <laughs> there's a bunch of questions, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna take them one at a time to to make it easier for everybody uh, to follow along. So John says, you have mentioned that you'll hang a set sometimes two years in advance and not visit again until the day you hunt it. The question is, state lands, we aren't permitted to do that. We only have a small window of time before season to hang a stand and then have it removed soon after season. Do you leave your stands on state lands year-round? Uh, no, I don't, uh, John, because that's that's not allowed on the, the public uh, properties that I hunt. Uh, stands have to be removed right after season. But uh, what you can do is you can have that exact tree where you plan to hang your stand. You can have it ready. You can go in, you know, ahead of time uh, in the off season in the winter. You can put that stand up if you find a new spot, get them shooting lanes trimmed back if that's allowed, and uh, – do everything except hang the stand then take your stand down and all you got to do is come back the next fall and put it up or when you are bring it in on your first hunt the first time you want to hunt that that particular location bring that stand up or with you and put it up then um so that that should take care of that question the the key there is 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 if you're doing that have a setup that you can get in and out very quiet and, and that's Absolutely. that's that's what we referenced earlier in this episode when we were talking about what we did this weekend is is you know if you look at Lone Wolf's product line whether you do a um, some of their climbing sticks and that tree stand I'm telling you if that tree is prepped for that set you are in it in no time and quiet um, they also have a really really nice climber if you're if you like climbing tree stands to get in and out with that thing it's really really light quiet they they have this uh, belt system that goes around the back very very nice so um, that's another opportunity for you but but the key there is go in early and have that tree ready for your wind direction and your access point uh, ahead of time because the last thing you want to do is take a good tree stand in there hang it and then have to saw a bunch of limbs or not have a shooting lane yeah absolutely and you know those of you have been following my rut report on my Facebook page, uh, every day, um, every evening, I'm coming in from the day's hunt and posting a rut report, uh, you know, where I talk about what I've seen that day, uh, where I'm hunting, just just different uh, bits of information that might help you out. Go to my uh, Facebook page, Don Higgins slash Higgins Outdoors, and follow and like that page, and you'll be able to see that rut report daily. But on yesterday's rut report, I talked about a, a new target buck that I just located yesterday. He's on a new property where I've uh, I'd placed cameras back in uh, September, 
but I did not check those cameras till yesterday. And uh, yesterday I go in, here's a giant buck walking right by a spot that I'd pre-selected uh, uh, for where I would want to hunt. Where I mean, I've even got my tree picked out for a stand, but I wasn't going to hang a stand there until I knew there was a buck I wanted to shoot there. Well, I come home and check that card yesterday, and lo and behold, there's a shooter. So um, I'm going to be doing exactly what Terry talked about. I'm going to be slipping in there with a lone wolf this week uh, when the wind's right and hanging that stand. I'll probably go in midday, hang the stand, and then set the rest of the day, and then the stand will be in place uh, for hunting in, in future days. But uh, that's a great tactic for public land as well as on new properties like I just described. Okay. So we'll move on to, to John's next questions. Um, says, I understand that you're using very high-quality stands, but do you ever have problems with squirrels eating the straps? Do the straps to your step stand choke the tree if, if left through the years? Um, basically, if I'm leaving a stand out multiple years, I'm replacing at least the top strap with a chain. Um, I don't trust the straps um, that are going to be left out on stands that are going to be left out year-round. So in those situations, I'll put a chain around that stand and maybe a strap on the bottom uh, just to stabilize it. Um, but I, I don't advise anyone to leave stands out year-round that you, you only have a strap to hold it in place. And a lot of times you're even in, in ones that you know are going to stay out if they're not a ladder stand, you're even replacing the cables that go down to the to the platform even with a chain. Absolutely. I've seen, I've seen you do that before so you don't have any rusting on the on the cables. So Yeah, most of the time when a per, uh, portable stand gives way and and uh, you know causes an accident or whatever, it's not usually the entire stand falling. A lot of times it's just those cable supports that uh, are, seems to be the weakest link in the product, and, and those are rusting through and put some weight on them, and those break. So I'm replacing those cables on, on my older stands with uh, light chain. Uh, that should take care of that problem. But in a lot of these cases, we're actually using ladders because we're getting old. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the older I get, the more I like those ladder stands. All right. Uh, and John goes on to say, if a stand is left unattended or unobserved for even one year, what do you do for shooting lanes? Well, I go in in the, in the winter months right after season with chainsaws. I uh, even got a uh, pruning saw, pruning chainsaw. And when I cut a shooting lane, it's going to be good for a couple of years. I guarantee that. So, <laughs> so I take care of that. Uh, I don't have to go back every year for shooting lanes. And when you do it in the winter, you can get away with that. You sure don't want to go in in September right before season opens with chainsaws. But if you're doing it in January, February, March, well, that's fine. Uh, moving on, do you use a lifeline with your stands, and do you leave them all year too? Um, again, what about rodents chewing the rope or simply UV decay rot? I do not use a lifeline. I just use a uh, lone wolf safety harness. Um, a lot of the trees that I get into having that lifeline, I'm going around branches and stuff on the way out or way up and the way out. Uh, it'd be fairly difficult uh, to have a, a safety line on every one of my stands. And, uh, you know, I've got 40, 50 stands in place at all times, so it, it would be a full-time job just to, to, to maintain those. So, so I don't. I just use the, the safety vest uh, or harness from Lone Wolf. Um, the last question from John, this one, uh, we move on to a different topic. He says, are you concerned about achieving a specific buck-to-doe ratio on your hunting properties? No, I'm not at all, and the reason for that is most of the properties I'm hunting are, are very small properties where I'm not, I'm not going to have any effect um, on the buck-to-doe ratio just by myself. Uh, those deer are moving on several properties, and my neighbors have to be on the same program or it's not going to work. I can tell you that up until to the 2012 season, on my home farm, I was trying to harvest two does for every buck that was shot on the property. And it didn't matter who shot the buck. If, if a buck was removed, I tried to shoot two does. Um, then in the two, summer of 2012, EHD came through and just literally destroyed the deer herd. We were down to about 25% of the herd in 2012 season that we had in the 2011 season due to EHD. And the state of Illinois DNR did absolutely nothing to uh, rectify the situation. They didn't cut down on tags or, or anything like that. 
Um, and, and I decided that uh, it was on me to rebuild that deer herd. And I have not shot a single doe, nor have I allowed a single doe to be shot on my property since 2011. Um, sometimes you just have to do what you can uh, within the laws to, to manage the deer herd the best you can. But uh, to specifically answer your question about uh, trying to maintain a specific buck to doe ratio, no, I, I don't do anything like that. If you've got a property uh, where there's a lot of does, and by all means you need to shoot some of them, but uh, it's about impossible to set a goal of a specific buck doe ratio and maintain it on a small property. Hey, Frank Archie, he's looking over at me right now. I dare you to pull back on a doe tonight when you're in the blind with, with Don and see what he does. <laughs> if, if Frank pulls back on a doe, he's going to be rolled out of the blind. <laughs> yeah. No, Frank's a great guy. I enjoy having him here. Uh, this is not the first time he's hunted with me, and it won't be the last either. So we have a lot of fun uh, especially if we can get in a blind where, where we can whisper back and forth and have a conversation. Uh, in a tree stand, it's a little bit different, but we had a ball this morning. Uh, didn't see many deer this morning, but uh, we did have a chance to visit. Uh, next uh, question comes from Peyton. Uh, Peyton didn't leave his last name, but uh, looking at his email address, I'm going to guess it's Peyton Messmore from Hammond, Illinois. Uh, Peyton says, Don, I am in central Illinois and have 20 acres of private timber bordered by 40 acres of timber on one side and a 40-acre cattle farm on the other. The area has a history of big deer, even a 180-inch deer killed on the property next to me. I have an acre food plot for several years and currently is planted in real world's deadly dozen that is looking great. I struggle to keep bucks on this property. What else can I do to keep deer here? Well, Peyton, to be just brutally honest, you're never going to be able to keep deer on 20 acres. Um, you, you need to kind of approach it from a different angle. What you need to do is try to, to get the deer in your area to spend as many of their daylight hours on your property as possible. And the thing to do to, uh, to do that is to really curtail the human intrusion on that property. The less human intrusion on a property, the more the deer will utilize it. The more human intrusion, the less deer will utilize it. So uh, you're doing a good thing by, by having your food plot, but, you know, security cover is really the most important thing. And that, that comes from a guy that owns a food plot seed company. Uh, food plots are a very important part of the puzzle, but you also need that security cover that's free of human intrusion. So my suggestion to you would be to cut down on the human intrusion within your 20 acres. So as those properties around it get pressure, hopefully they're driving the deer to, um, to Peyton. And, um, you know, every, every piece of timber is a little bit different with whether you can let it grow up and be more bedding or, um, or it's mature timber that you're trying to uh, have other goals with. But the more that the pressure around you can push, because those little pockets – can be where the big bucks go. And um, usually it is. So depending on how you have that there and hold mm -hmm. does and bucks coming over there to check that food plot, that's all great. But if you're tromping through it, you're not going to hold them. Absolutely. And I, and I found through my consulting work um, on all the properties that I get to visit each winter, uh, human intrusion on a property is probably the biggest mistake that deer hunters make. That they've got the idea you know a lot of things in life the more effort you put towards something the greater the rewards well with deer hunting not, sometimes it's just the opposite you go put more effort on your property more work to make it better and you're having just the opposite effect because you're pushing deer off instead of encouraging them to stay uh, you think you're doing projects to make it better and maybe they are making it better in your eyes but that human intrusion is the thing that uh, gets overlooked and that's what pushes deer off well, even, even you said earlier in this episode that one of the bucks that you were watching here on your home farm, it doesn't matter whether it's 130 acres or 30 acres, that deer went three miles from here. Mm -hmm. So to have that much land completely locked, in, it, it doesn't happen very often. So that deer is going to move off of you. Um, there's nothing you can do to really stop it from happening, but um, you can sure make them funnel to you as, uh, as the season progresses. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Our last uh, question, or maybe it's a series of questions, comes from Rich Hickson from Albany, Ohio. 
Uh, Rich says, hey, Don and Terry, my question revolves around access to your hunting stand. This year I'm hunting a new property and access is limited with only one way in and out due to geographical features and property lines. So far, my target buck seems to like morning feeding. He is constantly on camera feeding in, day, in daylight anywhere between the break of day and up to 10 a.m. at some times. I know I can't be the only one in this situation, so how would you go about accessing your stand for an October morning hunt without risking blowing deer out, of your, out on your way in? Do you have any suggestions in general on properties that are difficult to access and exit undetected? Thanks for doing the podcast. I definitely enjoy it on my drive to work. Well, Rich, first of all, I never hunt mornings in October. And I think Terry's over here laughing because he knew what the answer was going to be to that one. Well, that and he just described my farm in Kentucky. Is. Oh. <laughs> well, um, most of the time when you're targeting a mature buck, um, he's going to be bedded before the sun comes up. And you described a rare situation that, that just doesn't happen too often. Uh, with the buck up feeding in October up to 10 a.m. in the mornings. Um, but to answer your question, to be just brutally honest, I don't hunt mornings in October, no matter what my cameras are showing me, because even if I happen to, to catch a buck on his feet uh, in daylight um, in the mornings, it, it's such a rare situation that for every buck that you kill on an October morning hunt, you're going to educate 50 and maybe 100 and and decrease your chances of killing any of them so i just i just won't do it but we get into your other question about access uh and properties when you've got only one way in and terrain features and such limit uh how you can move about well you know each property is unique and just because you 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 can't put a number on how many good stand locations are on a property based on acreage um I hunt a lot of properties that I've only got one single stand on because if you don't have good access, you don't have a good stand site. And I don't care if you've got 1,000 acres. If you've got to blow through the middle of it to, to get to a stand, uh, that's not a good situation. So you've got to just kind of take the hand you've been dealt on that property in regard to, to access and, and exit and live with it. Uh, you might be able to uh, manipulate it some to, to create some better access routes um, but for the most part uh, don't think that you have to get to the back side of the property because that's where you're seeing the deer do something to pull those deer to the front of the property where your where your access is um, I always talk about taking a good stand and making it a great stand there's a lot of different things you can do to take a good stand and make it even better you know you maybe uh, planting a food plot in front of it or or dropping a tree across a trail that's just out of range or something like that. There's things you can do to make a good stand a great stand, but uh, I'm probably one of the most uh, conservative uh, deer hunters that you'll ever meet as far as putting pressure on a property. I am absolutely the lowest pressure possible, and if that means walking past some good stand sites because they don't have good access, that's exactly what I'll do. In a perfect world... We want to give, if, if the only thing we're doing on a piece of property is managing it for whitetail, we want to leave the center to the deer, and we hunt the perimeter. But what, what he's asking us here with this question is he doesn't have that option. He only has one way in and one way out, and, and I have that exact situation. Most of the properties that are around my area in Kentucky are ridge tops with hollers around it, and usually at the bottom of the hill is the property line, and there is no access other than one direction. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll, it'll be nice when we publish the video story of T3 that I killed on September 11th this year because what happened was is I wanted to kill that deer in early season, but with that ridge that I had to walk through of standing alfalfa to get to the back where I historically hunted when it was grown in tobacco, I blow every deer on the farm out in the morning or in the evening. Um, I choose not to hunt mornings, like you said, but um, you just blow them all out. So we came up with a strategy, you and I, um, last year to move that that transition area to the front of the farm where I could get in and out. And it, it, sometimes it doesn't work. This time it actually did. But it might take a couple years to get it done. But but try to find ways to manipulate bedding, manipulate your food, 
that you can get in and out of that stand without being detected. And I've tried everything um, to get out in the evenings with that alfalfa there. I've had people drive a truck back to blow the deer out with the truck versus them knowing where my spot is. I had a friend recently that told me that he carries a Fox Pro coyote call with him, and on the way in, he sets it out about 100 yards on the drops it in the field and then he has the remote and when it's time to get out and there's deer out there he blows a bunch of coyotes and and blows them out with that and then picks it up on the way out i think that's a great idea i don't know why i've never tried that but um you you have to get creative when you only have one access and then you have to be disciplined because if you only have one access that means you only have one wind that you can hunt that farm for the most part and you have to be disciplined not to hunt that farm when you only have the when you have the wrong wind yeah the the guy that came up with the idea about putting the, the fox pro collar on his entrance route and leaving it 100 yards from his stand that was a brilliant idea i wish i'd have thought of that um that's a good way to clear out the, the deer around your stand when you want to leave and just pick up the uh, call on your way out Yeah, because so, some of them things are really small they'd fit in your backpack real easy yeah that's that's a great idea so um, something I might be looking into for a couple of the stands <laughs> that I hunt because that's an issue for sure. Yep. All right. So uh, that's the last of our questions. The guys that got chosen today are going to get a free Chasing Giants T-shirt mailed to them. Is that right? Yeah. And for those of you who submitted questions that have been used on earlier podcasts, we just got the uh, um, T-shirts in this week. So we'll be mailing out T-shirts uh, to all you guys Whose questions were used on previous podcasts. Do I so, actually get a T-shirt? Uh, you got $25. Yeah. I guess I can, <laughs> if I want to buy one, where do I go? Uh, you can just knock on my door. <laughs> I'll make sure you've got one before you leave today, Terry. Do you have them up on your website yet? They are. Uh, you can go to the website, chasinggiants.com. You can purchase the T-shirts there as well. Might make a good Christmas gift for somebody as well as my book. So and pretty cool T-shirt. I think you posted a picture of it on your Instagram and um, and Facebook page this week. But pretty right. cool T-shirt. All right. So that finishes up our questions. What do we got cooking? We're we're in the most beloved, anticipated, and uh, and best time of the year for a for a, a white-tailed deer hunter. And unfortunately, I have to be in the office this whole week. Now I can't. I can't you. get vacation. I can't call in sick. But uh, what do we got looking wow. forward to us this week? Well, I think this week is going to be the best week of the of the entire season, especially for rut activity. Uh, the following week, we're going to have a lot of the big bucks are going to be locked down uh, with hot does. But this week, just each day is going to get a little bit better and a little bit better. And I've said many times in the past through articles, uh, seminars, whatever that there's more booners killed November 7th and 8th than any other dates. And the reason for that is those bucks, the does aren't quite in heat yet, and those bucks are at a fever pitch. They're ready to go, so they're covering some ground looking. Um, So I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the stand. Uh, You know, a great thing is I've got uh, four bucks that I'm sure are over 170 inches to chase this week. Um, Got two tags even, so I I might kill two this week. Who knows? Um, There's worse things that could happen, I guess. (laughs) The crazy thing is that of these four booners that I've got to chase this week, three of them are on properties that I have never hunted a day in my life. Um, So my skills are going to be tested a little bit to go in on new properties and uh, chase these booners. Um, And you know what? I just thought of a fifth one, too. I got five booners to chase. Um, Two of those are on properties I've hunted before. Three of them are on properties I've never hunted. Um, one I just described earlier in the, the podcast is I just got the picture of him yesterday. Didn't even know he existed until yesterday. Don't have a single stand set up in there, and here it is November 2nd, so I'm going to be carrying the lone wolf in with me on on the hunts for that particular buck. but uh, Can you uh, use the quiet cat bike any there to help you, or is are you going to have to hoof it? On some of the properties I can. On this particular one, I won't. It's pretty rough terrain. So, uh, be quieter. And heavily wooded, too. Foot. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd, I'd probably cause more commotion with the bike than without it in that situation. But I do have some where that bike is absolutely going to be used this week. So, um, 
I just can't tell you how fired up I am for this week's hunting because this is the week we wait all year for. Well, are we, you know, we've talked about on past episodes that the buck tendencies are going to be the same because the does are, you know, the misconception of an early rut. We really don't believe in that. But the weather kind of showcases different things more. Looking at the extended forecast here around where you're at, what does the weather look like for that next week that you're talking about? Well, the temperatures are going to be about 10 degrees below normal, and that's ideal. You don't want them super cold, but anytime you can get below normal for that time of the year, and especially if you get into that 10, 15 below normal, or 10 to 15 degrees below normal, then you're, you're really setting up for some great buck movement, and that's what we're seeing for this coming week. The other thing I like is, you know, I've been trying to plan out my hunts and where I'm going to sit on different days. That 7th and 8th, as I mentioned, are great, and those are days I try to sit in the stand all day. And I've got certain stands that I'm a whole lot more comfortable sitting in all day than others. So uh, what I've noticed for the next week's forecast is there's going to be a lot of different winds. So it's not like we're going to be stuck with hunting a south wind every day or an east wind every day. Um, If you've got a favorite stand, it looks like uh, the winds are going to be favorable for at least one day before you get into that stand. That's the other kind of tactic that you have. You would rather have multiple farms that don't dictate a certain wind on them that way um, you're not sitting at the house when you have a wind that isn't what you need for a specific property you can go hunt somewhere else right yep so well do you got anything else to close it up i know uh we got um tonight's hunt and then i'm in town tomorrow then unfortunately i have to go back to work and every two years this seems to happen to me where i have an event at work that i can't get out of and um, next weekend, um, I'm going to be taking my son hunting. It's opening weekend of Orange Army Kentucky rifle season. So uh, my son still hasn't shot a buck, so I'm going to take him, and hopefully we can get him a buck in Kentucky. But um, I want to wish everyone the best of luck. Um, you got anything else to close it up as we uh, sign off here today? No, Terry, I just encourage everyone, if you can spend every minute you possibly can in a tree this coming week, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, be sure to tune in to that rut report on my Facebook page, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. And we owe, we're going to, I, I almost forgot about this, but we owe that X hunt or that um, Onyx membership from somebody who shared um, your rut report. Um, so we're going to announce that via social media and then I'll get that to you this week. So I didn't forget about you. We'll put that out there. So on behalf of biofarm.com, we want to thank our sponsors, um, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, 360 Hunting Blinds, Vortex Optics, and Quiet Cat Bikes. So enjoy this first week of November and hope you lay down a big one. On behalf of Don Higgins and I, we're signing off. (laughs) 